I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, back, better than ever, Brandon Newman. Yes, better than ever. But I have an issue with you saying with me, as always, as you've always said with me, as always, as I haven't been with you, as always. But I have been with you, as always, in spirit and in edit. Well, yeah, Brandon, it's the footprints in the sand, right? You see those spots where it was just my mic recording on here? That was where Brandon mm. edited me. See? Okay. I see. I see how we're still connected in that. The, with the audio footprints always. in the sand. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Are you, you good doing? now, man? You're in a room full of stuff. You actually have made it down to Florida in theory. Boxes have been unpacked. The movers and your war against them is now over. Yes. Yes. The war against the movers is over. They won. You know, sometimes they always do. Battles. You know, you got you to gotta know when they have the power. When someone else has the power. You're you're um you're at their behest. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we just spent 30 minutes finding my mic uh, because it's I'm at my desk again for the first time in a very long time. But yeah, feeling a little bit settled heading into the new year, which is nice. 
We do like that. Um, and yeah, you're right. That's one of those instances. Moving and being in an airport are the two spots where you just sort of have to concede. Once they take your stuff, you're completely in their control. And you have to hope that the homework you did beforehand, it's honestly a lot like uh, it's a lot like game. You've got to hope the preparation that you did beforehand can sustain you because once you yep. get out there, it's its own living, breathing thing that's largely out of your control. It is kind of like a game because getting from like, the getting to the airport through TSA is like running your first 15 scripted plays on offense. Yep. Right. You're like, I know exactly how I'm going to get through here. I got TSA pre-check, like all the different things. But when you get to that gate and then they switch the gate, mm-hmm. well, you better get ready. It's time for audibles. Exactly. That's where you learn what kind of coordinator you got. Like, all right, <laughs> did we did we have enough install ready this week? Did you scout your opponent well enough to know, hey, this is the weather that might impact us. This is how crowded it might be today. This is what we're working with on the uh, – all things that you got to do beforehand to give yourself the best chance, and then you just got to go in, and it's about attitude and demeanor unless you flew southwest in the last Ooh. week. I, my, my thoughts and my prayers are with everyone involved in that process. Like it's beyond even a joke. It's legitimately sad and horrific for anyone who chose to fly that airline over the course of the last holiday weekend. It, it is unfortunate. Mile, uh, I almost called you miles thinking about Southwest. <laughs> Anyways. Yes. It's unfortunate to think about miles, uh, but <laughs> it's almost like a fall from grace. Because Southwest was such an important airline to a lot of people. It's like uh, Zoom and Skype. It's like when the pandemic started, you thought everyone was just going to be on Skype because that's what we're using. And out of nowhere, we're Zooming it up. It just pops in like a thief in the night. Um, (laughs) We got a great show for you guys today. Um, We're going to do so. These are the last of our Christmas pods is coming out today. We have been releasing Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the last couple of weeks around the holiday season as Brandon is moving in a room where things are falling down around him right now for the audience watching on YouTube. And we always appreciate those of you who download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and of course, check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Holiday rating would be nice. That's all I'm saying. Like maybe in the spirit of the holiday season, go on there and just leave us some emojis you know, leave your New Year's resolution in there oh, as well. Good. Brandon, do yes. you are you a New Year's resolution guy? This will be our last podcast before the start of 2023. I am. I am. And like most of America, I famously ditch it halfway through January. But I think this one, I think I can actually I can actually stand by, Mike. You ready? In the new year, I will not come on this podcast without reading at least one article about what we're talking about. That's big. I'm proud of you. I'm not done. Oh. (laughs) And five to ten minutes of super speed listening to a podcast on a subject that we're talking about, Mike. I am going to get better. I'm going to have other people influencing these crazy takes. And and that's something that I think I can can, uh, acquiesce to. I think I I can stand up to that resolution. Can you listen to podcasts on like two times speed? I, I can when it's about sports and it's informational. Interesting. I've never been a person that's super comfortable with that. And I feel like it's one of my worst qualities and traits because everyone talks about how much more efficient that can be, but it just ends up making me feel anxious. Re- yeah. Really? All podcasts? 
Or yeah. Do you, oh yeah, you don't you read your books. You don't listen yeah. to Yeah. I'm a cl- mm. classic classic hand and eye reader. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have a newspaper subscription? Uh I do online. I don't have a physical newspaper subscription. No, I'm not that quite that old. That's boomer shit. Yeah, that, that is boomer shit. I, I boomer shit that I do uh like pawn over. Like I wish I could one time one old man, just old black man, and he trusted because he's old and black and a man. So I was like you know, anything he said, I was like, okay. He's like, son, what you need to do, go home, get you a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And you ain't got to read the whole thing, but you got to read that headline copy every day or every every week. And I was like, oh. See, okay. setting realistic goals for the new year. That's pretty yeah. realistic. You don't got to read the because the whole thing is intimidating. It's like any other goal. You got to just find yourself a little bite-sized part of it and then just eat at your own pace. Just yes. read the headlines. Speaking of- Speaking of eating at your own pace, what's your New Year's resolution? Um, my, I don't really – I probably need to pick a new one every year in general. Like I usually just write down and kind of like remind myself somewhere, whether it's like in a journal or near a nightstand. Um, you remember this. Our old strength and conditioning coach, uh, uh, Paul Longo, used to always say, take care of the people that take care of you. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's just kind of a good thing to come back to at the start of the new year. Be a good teammate. Look out for your teammates. We are getting further and further away from our time as teammates and doing all that. And a lot of life happens. And unfortunately, we've, you know, not to get too serious, we've had a lot of life happen in a very negative way to people that are very close to us. And yeah. you always look back and wonder if there's something more you could have done. And so I'm always a good reminder to start doing it a little bit sooner if you've got the opportunity. Honestly, you're on to something that I've you've talked about before, but I'd never really put the seriousness to it. And I'm turning my corner. Community. Say community, hey. community, community. Listen, baby. That's what we talk about. And that's what we preach around here. And like we said, we appreciate everyone who comes and is part of this community. Uh through the first year that we've been doing this. Now it's technically under a year. We started in May, but yes. it was in 2022. So we appreciate with you guys for rocking with us uh, during that time period. And to close out 2022 for this podcast, got a fun one today that I'm really excited about. We are in the midst of bowl season right now. And as this podcast releases, Friday will be the most important bowl game to my heart. No, it's not Notre Dame playing South Carolina in the Gator Bowl, although um, <laughs> excited to go down there and check that one out. No, it is the 2022 Dukes Mayo Bowl between North Carolina State and Maryland, and that is a game that I was a part of last year. That is a game that will probably end up being, like, I don't believe that I was ever important enough to have a legacy, but if there was anything that was going to be in a legacy from seven years and my time at ESPN, it would be the 2021 Dukes Mayo Bowl with me, Anish Shroff, and Taylor McGregor going on air at a game where the winning coach got dunked in mayonnaise and dunking Oreos, donuts, and all sorts of other shit in mayo and eating it on other people's TV. And so we decided to get me, Anish, and Taylor back together to do the oral history of the 2021 Dukes Mayo Bowl. Anish is going to be back on the call this year for the game. It's him, Brock Osweiler, and Andrea Carter, who are going to do an awesome job, and I'm really excited to watch. I've talked to them a little bit about what they've got planned, and it's very exciting. But uh, we go back through the game heard around the world that ended with, you know, Dion Warwick, the R&B legend, saying that we needed to be put on paid leave. Uh, a writer in Australia saying we are part of the downfall of America. It was a lot, so we wanted to go unpack it. 
It's a lot, but it also some some things could be true. You know, some things can be hyperbole and be true. Uh, I know everyone will miss you on the call this year, but Brock Osweiler, very very tall. I know I don't know how that uh, turns out audibly. I don't know how that you know works with the actual calling the game, but vantage points from the sky, almost like a drone shot. Yeah, no, listen, he's got a great view of the field right now. He's a human all 22 copy at those altitudes. It's <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a great listen and uh so that's what we've got today uh with Anish and Taylor uh pumped to round out our holiday podcast in that way. We will be back in 2023, Monday through Friday, 5 days a week, the way that you have been used to, same bad time, same bad place. Um and we'll have plenty of reaction to the college football playoff coming up this weekend, the semifinal games getting going, all that good, good stuff. Um, Brandon, we did have a couple of news items, though, uh, that we wanted to get to here before we gave way to the interview. We talked about it before. Uh, the least surprising thing in the world happened. The Christmas ratings came back for the NBA versus the NFL. Yeah. And it's... I think a very interesting conversation between this and what we're seeing talked about in bowl season in college football, because more is better is what the NFL is going to take away from this. So the NFL on Christmas had its first Christmas day, triple header Packers, Dolphins, Broncos, Rams, and Bucks Cardinals as the nightcap. They had three games versus the NBA's five games, which were 76ers, Knicks, Lakers, Mavs, Bucks, Celtics, Grizz Warriors, and Suns Nuggets. And especially that middle group there, right? Bucks, Celtics, arguably the two best teams in the Eastern Conference of the league. Grizzlies, Warriors, an awesome rivalry for the last couple of years. Young yeah. Grizzlies team that's sort of nipping at the Golden State heels. And a couple of NFL games that were largely lackluster. Packers, Dolphins was the only one that mustered up any actual oomph, while the other two really sucked. And... It didn't matter. The uh, average viewership, according to Pro Football Talk, um, the average viewership for the NFL was 21.88 million across the day for the NBA, 4.318 million, which the NBA has long built Christmas Day up as its holiday. If the NFL has had control over Thanksgiving, Christmas Day NBA slate uh, for especially ESPN has been the thing that they use to sort of spring the coverage of the NBA into the rest of the season. Everyone was sitting around at home. It was their chance to watch. And they simulcast these on ESPN and ABC, so it wasn't like you didn't have the network bump either. And so, Brandon, like, I don't know. I'm not that surprised by this. We said before, this is just what the reality. This is a country addicted to football. This is a country that each and every year, 75 of the top 100 broadcasts are NFL games. This shouldn't stun anyone. This shouldn't stun NBA fans. Like This isn't a new addition to the conversation in any way other than I'm sure NFL executives, the owners, and the people that make these decisions are looking at this in a world where they are expanding to different countries to play games. They are flirting with other nights like Black Friday to add even more games and saying, why the hell would we stop right now? Why wouldn't we jam as much NFL as we could into every nook and cranny of the schedule? Well, I would say one reason why they shouldn't is if anyone's like me out there, there's a little bit of football fatigue around the holiday season, around now when we're just inundated with football. It's a lot. It's great. It's Sometimes it's not great. It's just the ball and the players and the helmets. So we're going to watch because something great could happen. And that's what it is for NBA for me, Mike, is whenever football is on TV, 
it always trumps basketball on TV. And I used to love diving into the NBA. I talk a lot about the NBA season starting on Christmas Day because that's what it is for me. But I didn't watch a lick of basketball uh, during this holiday break. And I don't want to I don't feel like I need to apologize for it because football is on. Usually football is not on it to this degree. No. And, and I guess that's the whole point now is they looked around and realized, oh, people people did like this because your point even if you think that there is football fatigue anecdotally, it's not the case. Twenty, almost twenty-two million people tuning in across all these games. Like you said, when given the opportunity, people will gravitate towards that. I joked the other night on this podcast. Luka Doncic had the first sixty twenty ten game in NBA history, and I was watching Wisconsin Oklahoma State. I was watching the guaranteed rate bowl. I mean, it makes sense for you, obviously guaranteed sicko, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, okay. Obviously, the fatigue is there, Mike, but it's, it's not fatigue enough not to put it on, if that makes sense. Because like, football is the perfect thing to have on. Well, because you said something can happen at all times, and that something is is rampant violence, right? Like, <laughs> yes. But like that's, well, the, that's I, the honest part. Like, We're a country addicted to violence, but, and at the core of this sport is the opportunity for violent excitement to happen at each and every time. That's why everyone the other night – the Pistons and the Orlando Magic. There was a scuffle over by the bench. Um, Mo Wagner got knocked out in that scrum somewhere in the middle of that. And it was all over the place. It was, you know, that violence and an outburst in an area where we don't normally see it. And I'm sure it'll be blast all over Sports Center and all these places. There'll probably be suspensions for I forget who it was, the player that like rabbit punched Mo Wagner in the back of the head, which is the lamest thing that you can possibly do in a football fight or any other fight otherwise there. I mean, my God. So that guy's wallet's about to get a lot lighter and probably miss some games with the resulting visual of this. But that's kind of the point is people just have that sort of car wreck thing where they stand and rubberneck at this. And the NFL provides those violent collisions over and over again over the course of a three and a half hour window. Okay. So by the way, the the player was Kellen Hayes okay. um, for, for the Detroit Pistons. But, Mike, I, I feel like it used to be that. I feel like it used to be the violence that got us there. Now, because of how they're changing the game, obviously, if you was watching the Kansas-Arkansas game, the Liberty Bowl, then you'd see that, I forgot his first name, but Thomas speared someone. It was a targeting call. He got ejected from the game. But, like, that is how the game is played, fast and violent. But I think people are now watching for touchdowns now because fast and violent get you kicked out of the game if you're too fast and violent well yeah exactly but there's always like still at its core that's what's there like all of the rest of that is clever window dressing around the core of this which is an incredibly violent collision based sport but you bringing up bowl season i think is the interesting tie-in to this because bowl season is the perfect show of more is better right everyone sits up and tries to do this. Danny Canal, God love him, former colleague at ESPN, now working over uh, at SiriusXM and CBS Sports, tweeted out the other day, eight wins, yes, eight, should be required to play in a bowl game. Basically hinting back at that idea that the six-win threshold means there's too many bowl games. Like, this is, you know, kind of blaming the wrong person in this argument, right? Like, right. Yeah. You're, you need to be blaming television execs for saying we want 43 bowl games, not teams for, you know, having a certain amount of wins. Like 
the inventory is there, so they're going to fill it. And that goes back to because people are going to watch it. Because even if you feel like there's too many bowl games on, none of them mean anything, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl would like to wave its hand in your face and say, no, every once in a while, you're going to strike gold in the middle of this. And you're going to get Kansas coming back from down 38-13 in the third quarter to force two overtimes in one of the more exciting games that we've had so far. And you're going to feel justified all over again. And that is why we've seen nobody willing to yield on the idea that we need fewer bowl games. No, in fact, the idea that we needed uh, more bowl games expanded into the college football playoff that's now moving to 12 games and was almost dictated by the bowl games that that wouldn't happen sooner than later. Like, more has always been better in this model. And I think, Brandon, part of the reason that's somewhat justifiable is because you've got so many content options in general now, like for Danny and others, my yeah. refrain was, if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. Thank but, you. The th- but the thing is, like you said, it's comfort food. If you know it's there, it's really easy to just throw on and feel pretty good about your decision. But we live in a world with almost infinite content options right now. I, that's why I stopped recommending shows to people. There's too much. Like everyone goes about watching their thing. And if you bump into other people who happen to be watching the same stuff, great. But you scroll down any streaming platform, you scroll down whatever cable uh, outlet you choose to subscribe to, and you're going to find more options than we have ever had in the history of this earth. Yes. So here's the perfect example, because I am not a member of the sicko committee. I actually watched the glass onion on Netflix rather than watching Monday night football this week. So like I'm, I'm, Slowly starting to disconnect from bad football when I can. But I didn't even put that game on, Mike. We're emptying boxes in a new house, and we just need something on, right? I like to actively watch my TV, so I didn't choose it. Michelle threw on the Liberty Bowl game, and it was just amazing to watch, right? And that's that's your that's your even six and six teams that, that Danny Cannell doesn't think should be in the bowl game. And you can just watch something else, right? Because I believe uh, Texas Tech and... Who played that? Texas Tech in Oklahoma. Um, Who does Texas Tech play? Doesn't Texas matter. Tech played Ole Miss. Yeah, thank you. Actually, it does matter. Big game. So, as I'm saying, there's Texas Tech and Ole Miss that you can watch afterwards. Or, later on today, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching a, a eight-win UCLA team versus an eight-win – or a nine-win UCLA team versus an eight-win – pit team like there's windows for you to get those games Danny Cannell if you so please and that shortens your bowl window down to probably the games that I'm interested in watching anyways there's a lot of people that don't even turn it on until the semis start you know what and that I but I guess this thing is there's something for everyone right now and clearly like adding shrinking is not going to create the meaning that you value anymore like the meaning changed when the money changed the reason that players aren't playing in this is because you're not paying them to play in these games and because the really good ones can make money in a few months and they don't want to get hurt in the process we had another one of those situations pop up this weekend where Grayson McCall the quarterback of Coastal Carolina who entered into the portal because his head coach uh, Jamie Chadwell is now heading to Liberty, getting set to go in the portal, but played in the bowl game and then got hurt. And now that potentially affects what happens with him going forward. So all of those forces are the things that change and create meaning or value in these games as the people that want to argue against it see fit. And so I think, honestly, we need to change that take from this year because we're not getting fewer bowl games. That's not going to happen. And the bowl games are fine. You know, some of them are good. Some of them are not good. The thing that we need to change is make sure 
that we get some of these games played on far better surfaces. You looked at Oregon and North Carolina playing on a field that was chewed up to shit. There were plenty of games that we have seen uh, pop up playing on surfaces that are incredibly slick, that give players bad footing, where now all of a sudden you up the potential for injury, and thankfully we haven't seen it realized a ton. But that part's embarrassing, and these players deserve better on that front. And if you're going to be partners that put on these bowl games and make all this money from the product, then you damn sure better make sure that the field in better working order than what we've seen in some of these games. It's fucking embarrassing, and if it does end up getting something hurt, someone hurt, I'm going to be furious. So that part is what we need to focus more of our energy on, is shaming these people into making sure the player sur- playing surfaces are worth a damn for the kids that are going to play these games. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen injuries happen. You can't 100% uh, put it on the field, but that field wasn't great when, when Jalen Smith in Notre Dame was playing against uh, Ohio State when he he messed up his his knee uh pretty bad uh, in the red zone and mike i played at the beefo brady's bowl in st petersburg florida on tropicana field which is a baseball field and anytime that you got to run through the dirt i know the las vegas raiders did this for a long time i guess there's the oakland raiders before that the baseball fields the football fields it's just turf even it's just not football fields are football fields it's very it's very hard to try to play it's not hard to play football on fields it's not football but it isn't fun no and so that needs to be the focus here now uh as we look at all these bowl games uh brandon the other thing that popped up Derek carr benched by the las vegas raiders uh this week um now it not altogether surprising but kind of indicative of where they're going right this has been a bad season For the Las Vegas Raiders, Derek Carr had signed a three-year extension uh, a while back for 121.5. Oh, it was this spring, but like every extension, you got to look at the fine print. And his dead cap hit after this year, if he were cut within three days of the Super Bowl, would only be about $5.5 million. It was a very easy out for a team that was in transition, bringing Josh McDaniels in and some new leadership in that front office. And... This is kind of like what we've talked about with Denver firing Nathaniel Hackett because they have to keep Russell Wilson. They are more Mm. bought into that guy than they were Nathaniel Hackett, and they've got to do something because what they got result-wise this year wasn't good enough, so it goes for the Raiders, who just bought into Josh McDaniels as their new head coach after the fiasco that was last year, and things didn't go well. And while that's not really on Derek Carr, the defense, plenty of other parts of this team that failed to live up to the billing, including their head coach, They're more bought into the head coach, and they've got this financial out with Derek Carr, who's been there and not really been ever fully, I think, loved by this organization in a way a player of his caliber normally would be. And so making the decision to sit him down because you're likely going to try and move him in the offseason now, they said him coming back in 2023 is still on the table, according to Jeremy Fowler over at ESPN, or uh, this is Paul Gutierrez over at ESPN. But, um... They're sitting him down because they may move him or cut him this offseason. They don't want to worry about doing so with him injured and that complicating any part of the process. And it makes sense because this is a dollars and cents move. Yeah, it's a dollars and cents move, but I just feel bad for DC. I, I think he's said openly that he'd rather die with the ship than to try to get traded and go try to chase a playoff because he. Uh, playoff team because he just really wants to be uh, Raiders, wherever city they're they're at. I, I feel bad for him, but this was always the reality because it seemed like he 
didn't have a, a firm grasp on how the 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 franchise felt about him. Like even talking, listening to Harry and Fitz the other day, the fact that Max Crosby is the face of your franchise after nine years of you giving stability to the quarterback position into that offense says something about that franchise. Oh, it does. Listen, and, and that's kind of always been the case here. Now, Derek Carr hasn't always been perfect, but he's always been an above-average quarterback in the NFL, and some years even more than that. But when John Gruden was there, who was brought in to be the face of that franchise, you could mm-hmm. very clearly see in Hard Knocks and these other things, there was tension there between a head coach that I think didn't always feel like he had the best material as a quarterback And Derek Carr, who's also just a different personality, right? Like Derek Carr is a quarterback who certainly wears his faith on his sleeve, quite literally, you know, a tattooed sleeve in the last couple of years, has been lauded for his leadership, even where we didn't always think he was a perfect fit in that spot. He doesn't always look and sound like the typical leader that you'd see in some NFL locker rooms, but... That's also what makes this interesting, Brandon, because, again, the move's not surprising. It was. It was Jeremy Fowler said that um, Carr and the Raiders agreed, and the two sides talked and thought this was the best move, and that he would step away from the team for the remainder of the regular season so that he's not a distraction. That's the part that's a little strange to me because of what a leader Derek Carr has been for this team. Like, when they went through hell last season, he was steadying force for that team. Everything that happened with the team on the field, the John Gruden email stuff, obviously what happened with players on that team off the field and some of the horrific things, Derek Carr stepped up in a way that really, I think, for people that may have been on the fence or you know, at best ambivalent about Derek Carr, all of a sudden looked and said, man, this guy actually walks what he talks. He, he lives what he says as far as being a leader, and in his case, being a Christ-like leader in the way that, and that he views that. And so with all of those leadership things in mind, I was a little stunned. Like I can, I, I can get like people say it's not business is personal. This is deeply personal. And for Derek Carr, who I don't think, again, has ever really been fully loved by that organization in ways he thinks he probably deserved as a franchise quarterback, I can get feeling some type of way right now. I'm just surprised that a guy that talks about and has lived leading that team the way he has would be stepping away at this time and not being around and being there for his teammates, like saying he doesn't want to be a distraction. You just don't want to answer questions. Like you don't want to have to answer questions right. in the media. Your teammates are still going to get asked questions. Devontae Adams, who just got there this offseason to reunite with his college Man. teammate, is going to get asked questions about Derek Carr. So you're not saving your teammates any bit of distraction. Derek Carr is just not going to have to talk about it in front of a microphone at a Raiders facility. That's unfair, Mike, and that's that's one of the things that makes me feel like it may be his last. the The interception he threw, his last last uh, pass he threw as a, in, as a Raider, that may be his last pass. Period. Because you don't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for him to. It's not you being a distraction. This isn't Cam Newton and the Patriots, uh, unvaccinated Cam Newton backing up. Uh, Mac Jones after a quarterback competition and the, and the type of character that, that uh, Cam Newton is, this is the face of your franchise being embarrassed and deciding to just hide his face, which I, I think I, I give him, I don't blame him in this instance, but I do feel like it's an odd move for the Raiders when it comes to who they care about in that locker room, why they care about him, how they're finishing out this season. Like, like Josh McDaniels isn't, 
isn't absolved from blame either for how this season is, is turned out. Oh, no. Out. Oh, no. He 100% deserves blame. There's a lot of questions about Josh McDaniels and once again, him getting in the head coaching spot and things not really looking all that well. It's a reminder that the skills that make you a great coordinator are not the same skills that make you a great head coach. And sometimes there are just people that are more cut out for one than the other. No, this is just a crime of convenience here. This is, we've got to do something to show our fan base that we're not just going to sit idly by and give them the same thing that didn't work. And Derek Carr is the most affordable option to go out and at least try and show, hey, we're, we're doing something. We're giving effort. But again, so I think it's understandable from their standpoint. This was something that was circled before the season. They got an easy out. If shit goes wrong, they're going to cut off the limb that's already kind of dying. Derek Carr even, like I will extend him some grace. This is an uncomfortable situation, and there is a lot of ego tied up in all of this stuff. But there's always going to be part of me that just says, hey, listen, as a professional, at some point you got to just stand up and take your medicine, right? You're going to have to answer questions about this at some point better to get it done now because again I just don't think you're saving your teammates all that much they're going to trot Jarrett Stidham out there who's the backup they traded for from the New England Patriots they're going to give you know him the shot now and it's not you know Josh McDaniels talks about it's not about giving him a shot or giving him a real opportunity it's about making sure Derek Carr doesn't get hurt before you do anything making that transaction this upcoming offseason if you're going to do that And so, again, I don't think you're saving your teammates all that much in the distraction department. Everyone knows the drill. Your season is two weeks more. This is just Derek Carr, it seems like, not wanting to have to go and address this situation right now, which just, uh, again, we always talk about players after the game, highly emotional, having to go up in front of microphones, and how difficult that is to compose yourself, but... it's also just kind of what comes with the territory. And so if he needed to take a minute, that's fine. If maybe they gave him a couple days off, I'm just surprised. And I'll be interested to see if this ends up being for the last two weeks, if he really can stay away from his team and these people who he might be with for the last time. Now, like you talked about throwing his last pass, this might be his last time in the locker room with a lot of people that he's gone to bat with for a long time. And I'll be interested to see if he actually sticks to staying away for the entirety of the next couple of weeks of this season in that process and isn't with his team and doesn't eventually come and answer those questions. Because again, that's just more in line with the Derek Carr leadership that we've seen in the last couple of years. This is more about his standard than it is about necessarily a judgment for action. Yes, I I, I can't get the fact that Jared Stedham, Stedham is the one taking over for him because he might be Brian Hoyer light. Like he may be that guy that's going to sit stick around the league and just be the uh, you know a cushion for the last part part of the season for a lot of people, Mike. But for Derek Carr, I feel like the Raiders are getting into a position that they don't want to be in because that middle tier quarterback and the the fight to the top of it that I think Jared Goff has has clawed his way to the top of the the best of the middle, like. What else is out there for you? And I'm not talking about the draft. Like, what else is out there for you to give stability to this program that clearly needs it? And and it's like we said, it's not coming from the head coach. It's not coming from the front office. There was a quarterback carousel there for a very long time before Derek Carr started his nine-year career with the Raiders. It just seems like you're trying to get happier and happy, greener pastures, that type of stuff, because – the, the Bears can tell you what it's like to to draft mediocrity in, in Mitch Trubisky until Justin Field comes along two, three years later. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see a shuffling of 
replacement level quarterbacks this offseason, right? Daniel Jones is going to be a free agent. Jimmy G is going to be a free agent. Geno Smith, like, you know, Geno Smith's going to be at the top of that heap. The Seahawks let him walk out there. But there's a lot of names of quarterbacks. You know, Baker Mayfield and what he's done in Los Angeles, I'm sure, is going to get starter looks again from people. And so there's going to be that. Derek Carr, by the way, is going to be a fascinating commodity heading into this offseason for teams that might be thinking they're a quarterback away because you put that guy around a defense that can function and some weapons, and now all of a sudden you're probably in a scenario where you can go out and compete closer to now than you were. I just thought the one place that he will go and everybody would be happy, where his brother made it popular, Houston Texans. Oh, it got, if I'm Derek Carr, I want no part of that. Like If they cut him and he's got a choice, no, absolutely not. Go. Go sit down in Texas and, and, and chill with all them kids. He's, he can go relax. He can go have a little Phillips River life if he goes down to Texas. Derek Carr, Derek Carr is going to want the opportunity to win on a high level for once, and that Texans program is a long way away from that, even if they showed a bunch of fight this year. Long I, I'm not saying anything because we don't really want to talk about uh, the Texans. No, or, no, we, uh, no, Derek, we, Derek Carr playing. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. So, yeah. Um, uh, with that being said, what we do want to talk about is this quick break that we are going to take. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Be safe around. Uh, picks. Oh, shit. We do have picks. Jesus Christ. See, this is. This is why you're here. Uh, all right, let's go through this because we've gone far too long and we need to get people to Mayo stories. Um, oh, no. All right, picks coming up. I am 47-52-4 on the season right now overall. Six thick picks, three college, three pro heading into the weekend. NFL, Brandon, I'm going to go Panthers plus three versus the Buccaneers. Uh, mm. This is mostly just me using this to will the Carolina Panthers into the postseason, into existence, because this Bucks offense is sad and hard to watch. Um I got San Francisco minus 10 versus these Las Vegas Raiders. Jared Stidham against that defense? Nah, not good. Not good. Wow. I think they are going to run them out of the gym. And then the Jets minus one and a half, the return of White Mike on the road um, against the Seahawks. Road favorites, that is the value of rib-damaged Mike White means to Las Vegas, uh, the people in the desert, not the team in the desert. And uh, so I'll rock with that one. Seattle's been a little bit of a downturn in the back half of the season, and that Jets defense scares the shit out of me. Um, college football, uh, in honor of the Dukes Mayo Bowl, NC State versus Maryland. I'll go NC State minus one in this game. Uh, Maryland's going to be down most of their best receiving options around to his younger brother, Talia Tungavailoa. Uh, and that Mike Loxley-led squad for NC State, um, that linebacking core, which Drake May, uh, who's been one of the best linebackers in the ACC for a few years now, announced that he's going to declare for the NFL, but he's still going to play in this game. That linebacking core, when healthy, has been the best in the ACC, probably right there alongside the guys that Clemson has been able to prop out of there. And so it sounds like MJ Morris, their freshman quarterback who took over after the injury to Devin Leary, has been back at practice and maybe a go for this game. Um, but uh, either way, I still think that uh, NC State's going to pull this one off. They last year felt like they got robbed of a 10th bowl win because their game got canceled because of a COVID outbreak. I think they were playing UCLA. And so chance to go to uh, and cap off their season in the way they want to. I'll take them minus one. College football playoff semis will pick them. Uh, Georgia minus six and a half against Ohio State. I just... I think Ohio State, uh, and I've talked about it with plenty of people, 
has the firepower and certainly has the talent to make this um, interesting. I just think Georgia is going to be pretty locked in coming off an SEC title game where they gave up way more yards than they were comfortable with. And Kirby's been able to get in those guys' ears for a couple of weeks now. Um, And then, man, listen, total vibes play here. TCU plus 7.5 versus Michigan. Michigan is going to win this game. But at this point, TCU has made every game a bloody knife fight when given the opportunity, even after they got down in the Big 12 championship game. I think Michigan could probably win by 7. They're going to be down Blake Corum in this game. We know Donovan Edwards was able to shoulder that load against Ohio State. Um, And certainly they were more than capable in the Big Ten Championship. But I just want to see if Michigan can be explosive consistently. What we saw from them in the Ohio State game as far as their passing attack had not been there consistently all year long. And so I'll ride one more time with the magic of Hypnotoad TCU plus 7.5 in that game. Ooh, I love it. I'm just trying to fade you. So No, 100% the right move. Again, 100% the right move, even out a little bit more lately. We've had positive uh, wins in the last three weeks, 5-1, uh, 4-2, and 3-2-1 and, and one in the last three weeks. So we're moving in the right direction, but you never know. Yeah, I know, but I, the, the points are messing me up because I want to just outright money line uh, bet against you and say TCU wins and Ohio State wins. But come on now. Oh, yeah, that. No, that would be that would be a bad decision here. Brandon, uh, your stocking stuffers to finish off the uh, remnants of the holiday season here. What do you got? Listen, the Jags have not done me wrong. I like the way Trevor Lawrence is playing right now. Easy. Jags minus four and a half. Then you got the Lions. I like the way they're playing right now. Obviously, they're going against the Bears. It's a divisional game. It's important. Uh, I like the Lions minus six in that game. The Packers are alive, and they're playing decently well. Uh, I do believe in them. I believe in them as far as I believe in the two-time MVP Aaron Rodgers at this point in time. So I'm taking the Packers over the Vikings, but the Packers plus three. And then the the battle of the L.A. teams, the battle for SoFi, L.A. Chargers versus the L.A. Rams. I really do think that the Rams have something to fight for just when it comes to ego and, and bragging rights, but the Chargers are trying to get right right before the playoffs, so I'm going to take them. Chargers minus six and a half. Go, Chargers, go. Uh, all right, the battle for SoFi this weekend. Very exciting. Those are Brandon stocking stuffers. Um, take all these picks for what you will, man. Try and ride out into the new year feeling good. Everyone, be safe. Celebrate responsibly on New Year's Eve if that's your thing. Thanks for rocking with us. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Anish Shroff, ESPN and Carolina Panthers play-by-play announcer, and Taylor McGregor, ESPN sideline reporter and one of the sideline voices of the Chicago Cubs about the oral history of the 2021 Dukes Mayo Bowl. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. 
damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, these are the holiday podcasts here, uh, which means we get to do things a little differently than normal. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, those five-star ratings. And, of course, check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Got a fun one here today for the holiday season. Want to take everyone back in time to, I think, the the moment that in a lot of ways will end up being either the 1A or the 1B in my career highlights and uh, got to do it with two of my favorite teammates of all time. Uh, joining us here on the pod, Anish Roth, ESPN play-by-play and the Carolina Panthers voice with us here as well. And Taylor McGregor, ESPN sideline reporter, as well as the host and field reporter for the Chicago Cubs. Guys, we got the band back together. What's going on? I know. Yeah, I know. The oral history of the Duke's Mayo Bowl podcast. I feel, like the, I feel like the only thing that's missing is we should all have uh, a box of, as you said, cream-filled cookies and mm. some mayonnaise. <laughs> I know. The, fa- the fact that we didn't – the first time or one of the first times I saw Anish in person after the Mayo Bowl was at the men's lacrosse final four in Hartford, Connecticut, and there ended up being a massive rain delay. And so we were sitting in the back there, chopping it up out in front of the broadcast booth. And all of a sudden we just looked over and on the desk or with all the snacks up there in the press box, mayonnaise packets and Oreos. And we just kind of got kumbaya together for old time's sake. <laughs> Classic. Oh my it wasn't God. Dukes, however, unfortunately it wasn't Dukes. Yes, exactly. This is uh, strictly a Dukes family when it comes oh, to that standpoint. Family. It has twang. And it oh, really God. does make a difference. I mean, I don't think some of the things we tried on air last year would have been the same if it was normal mayonnaise. The twang matters. 
the twang always matters. The twang matters in every walk of life. So shout out to the Dukes folks for bringing the twang on that one. But um, guys, I want to kind of work chronologically through this because for, you know, what people saw of that game versus what that was for us, kind of two different things. Because I always said that was kind of like the culmination of one of the most fun seasons I've had covering college football, doing anything. And for all of us, you know, Anish, I had worked with you before filling in on a crew years before with you and Roddy Jones, Taylor, you and I hadn't gotten to work together before that, but certainly like knew of and and knew about you. And so we got together and week one, I remember being in Maryland with you guys and we bonded over the fact that at that point, Anish was a newly minted Taylor Swift fan. And it feels like the rest was history after that. (laughs) That's all it took. That's all it took. Yeah. And then, I mean, we had our moment. uh, You talk about the full payoff. Do you remember the last regular season game? where she had come out with Taylor's version, right? Oh, my God, yes. And then yes. we had the, the list of songs, and you had your college football playoff rankings. And, you know, it was it was a very much a, a full-circle season. But, yeah, for me, far and away the most enjoyable college football season I've had working. I thought it wasn't just, you know, the three of us kind of became our own little family. We had a, a fourth, um, you know, who, who doesn't like to be tagged. Yeah. Uh, Naveed Kajavi <laughs> is his name. We called him No Tag Naveed. Um you know, shady little character with, with an interesting backstory that nobody knows. But it was kind of just the four of us on the road throughout the season. And, you know, I, I just felt like we had fun. And, and it was fun. And every week the goal was to tell the story about the teams, to tell the important stories about the players, and then just to have fun. Um, you know, you, you got to remember that was 2021, still kind of in a pandemic, right? Um I just felt that was really important for sports in general, you know, where let's just scale back. It doesn't have to be so serious, so nuanced all the time. We can have fun with it. And um, the one thing I was proud of the most is I thought a lot of the stuff that went behind, that went on off the air and behind the scenes, we were able to bring a lot of that to the viewers through the course of the season. That's what I was going to say, Anish. I think it was really rewarding when other people started to recognize how much fun we had. Um, I constantly last year had people, gosh, your crew looks like so much fun. You guys have so much fun. Even people in this studio being like, I love doing your games because you guys have so much fun. And, and to me, that was super rewarding because I knew how much fun we had, which by the way, it's a true travesty. We didn't do a podcast throughout the season to tell some of the stories because that would have been really entertaining. Uh, but it was just so much fun every single week. We were our, our own family, you know, group dinners, the, the Friday before, truly, we could write a book about some of the conversations we had at those dinners. And um, I just look back and I, I'm thankful because that was my first season on a package. And so you guys set the bar extremely high as to, you know, what type of family you can create within the dynamic of a crew. Yeah. yeah and one of my low-key favorite moments, you know, that would present itself every few weeks. Anytime there was a gain of one yard on first down, I'd look over to Mike and I'd just go, and that'll bring up second and nine and go <laughs> trying not to giggle 
Uh, I mean, for anyone that's not familiar, in front of us in the booth, there's two buttons. There's a cough button and the talk back button. One so we can talk to the producers in the truck and communicate, and the other one so we can cough and it not goes out on air. And the amount of times I'm leaning on the cough button as Anise just stares daggers into me with second down and not, or just does it like a throwaway. He'd no look past it sometimes, where he'd just call it like it was run of the mill in the play. And I'm hammering the cough button just to make sure that I'm not crying on air. It was it was the game within the game. So it was the game within the game. Days. It was it was and a lot of times I would throw it out at you, like uh, you know that's a pickup of a yard, and that brings up Mike's favorite down second and nine, <laughs> and then I'd watch him and he's he's losing it, and and that was. You know, again, there were some inside jokes, and there was a lot of that camaraderie. We, we we had a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And I remember when we got the Mayo Bowl assignment, given what that bowl does, and give the bowl folks a lot of credit. They yes. have built this thing up to be an event. I think it captures the spirit of bowl season. Hey, let's not take ourselves too seriously. There's a million of these events. Let's be unique. Let's be different. And when we saw that we're getting a chance to do this, especially with how it had been built up and with what the end game that was promised, which was a coach getting a four-gallon bucket of mayonnaise dumped on his head. We said, man, this is a chance not just to lean into it, but literally plunge into it. It was. I mean, it had built up. So we had seen in bowl season for years that it evolved from the cheese at bowl folks dumping cheese. It's on to coaches. The famous Idaho potato bowl did it with um, French, fries, French fries, I believe. And so we had had a couple of those and you're right. It all kind of built up to this moment. And a lot of people had questions about it. And walking into that, I will say the person I was most nervous in the lead up thinking about it was Taylor because she was going to be the only one of us down in the action and down in the splash zone anywhere near all the mayonnaise in this. T-Mac, you had to be sweating bullets. Well, it was funny because I just didn't know how it was all going to play out. You know, going into the stadium that day, I'm like, okay, is this a situation where I'm right on the field post game with him and he's going to you know, they're going to dump it right over his head right there. I didn't know. It ended up not being that way. You know, they kind of took the coach off to the side and had this sort of set set up to get the Mayo dowsing. So I do remember Golik same thing. And, and you were the one who brought it up. Like, are you nervous? And I was more nervous, like, okay, what should I wear? Because if I wear something that's potentially near may- mayonnaise, probably going to get destroyed forever. So, you know, I had to choose an outfit that I didn't care that much about. It ended up raining, so I was in a raincoat, which probably worked in my favor because – when, when Beamer did get dows with the mayo, there was some remnants that got on my rain jacket. But luckily, you know, I, I probably should never have wiped it off and just kept it on there for, for good measure and, and good memory. Send it to the College Football Hall of Fame work <laughs> in a display case. Yeah, you can't tell the story of the sport without the history of that game. And it was like, so it was, it was, they recognized they had a crew that was going to lean into it that had, like, I think we earned our place in that game based on a season long of committing to the bit. And so we finally got to that point where it was the week leading up to it. And Anish, you were the one when we had the production meeting early in the week that brought this up. Wasn't it like a BuzzFeed article that had strange pairings of mayonnaise and food that you had dropped in our lab? It was some article which said, all right, these are strange things that you can, you know, dip and dunk in mayo. And so we started talking about it as a crew because you got to remember something happened in the lead up to that game. So originally the whole buildup to the game was going to be the end game. And so originally, to Taylor's point, you know, we thought that you were going to be interviewing the coach post game on the field, and then the dump would happen on the field. 
And then they switched that up on us, what, four or five days out where the Carolina Panthers basically stepped in and said, hey, we've had a lot of injuries this year. We're not getting mayo into this turf. Maybe it messes with the viscosity of it. I don't know. And you're going to have to do this in the tunnel. We're not going to do it in the on the field. And what that meant is logistically it wouldn't air on TV, on linear television. So, Taylor, you do the postgame ceremony for these bowl games as the field reporter and now all of a sudden we've got to adapt because you know what we thought was going to be the culmination of the broadcast on live tv will now end up on the app and our challenge now became all right well people aren't going to see that we have to keep them around for that and how do we build toward that yeah that was the entire goal of this thing it was it was elaborate storytelling because also like in the middle of that we ended up like we'll get to the game that went haywire in so many ways that we were prepared for like we got the gift of a great game which helped out in that process too and so we got ready we saw that article we're like all right why don't we eat some stuff on air as kind of a through line to keep people going in this sort of like breadcrumbs leading to the ultimate mayonnaise prize at the end and we had picked out a couple of food items that we thought might work, some things that might go well. We had a donut mixed in there. We had the peanut butter and jelly sandwich in there, the Uncrustables that Anisha Taylor watched me the entire season just completely house before games when we would go for snacks by the truck. <laughs> the caramel things that Anish hated. Do you remember those? What are oh, those my God. The, the Werther's candies. Yes. Yes. Anish hates them. And I still find them in my purse because I last year I would grab <laughs> of them and throw them in my purse. And I'm still like, oh. That's, that's Grandma, Ta- Grandma Taylor walking up asking anyone if they want any Werther's candies <laughs> on the trips now. Were there's yeah. candies, and then you went for the Uncrustables. I, I mean, you would devour this stuff. That was, the again, the untold part of this, and I'm glad you're doing this oral history because all season long, you know, like Mike, you didn't you didn't grow up poor, but like you ate like Oliver Twist, and I and I mean that in a heartwarming <laughs> way. We would go to places, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe you know. The guy grew up in Connecticut. Is, is we know who his dad was, refined palate. No, we're in Mississippi for back to back weeks. And Taylor, he's going around looking for chicken on a stick, but not just chicken on a stick, gas station chicken on a stick. <laughs> okay, so before we started recording this, before Anish was on, we were talking about the different hotels we were we stayed in, and we brought up the one in Starkville, Mississippi. And he said the best part of that hotel was the fast food restaurant that was in the parking lot. I'm like, only he remembers the fast food restaurants in the parking lots. They had a cookout right there. It was steps away from us in Starkville. What better way to start your day? Oh, no, it is. It is true. I said to Taylor, I think in Mississippi alone last year, I gained 15 pounds. I had four meals at the gas station in Oxford. (laughs) What about Tallahassee? Do do you want to tell people about the uh, little little odyssey you took us on at at 10 o'clock at night? So... Anish and Taylor learned pretty quickly that I, I think I said this on the broadcast for the uh, Louis for when we were in the New Orleans Bowl last year. I'm like a bloodhound for carbs and sweets. And so every place that we would land, I would try and find some cool ice cream spot or something that people around there would recommend. And Tallahassee, we didn't get a lot of recommendations. And so I just looked one up on my phone and I said, oh, this place looks kind of cool. Looks like it could be kind of trendy. Let's go and check this out. And so we had gone to dinner. 
And then I said, all right, I found it on here. I got the directions to it. Let's go. And I lead us on this journey through every dark, dimly lit back road in Tallahassee. And I got to give T-Mac credit because she was out in front of this. No fear walking through this completely unknown terrain. Didn't give a damn. As Anish and Naveed were both in the back like, we're going to get jumped. We're for sure going to get jumped walking to go get ice cream. I think I was just so excited about where, Where were you taking us? That is true, because at that point, Tallahassee was early enough in the season where, like, we knew each other, but it was still like, all right, like, what is Mike on down here? Does he know some people in Tallahassee? Is some shit about to go down? Well, that was when I, I started to think that Anish had a backstory, because I'm like, if Anish is this scared about a back road in Tallahassee, what's happened to him on back roads in the past? <laughs> <laughs> Backstories on back roads. The Anish Shroff story. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, that was, that was probably as, I feel like for the rest of the season, for the most part, I kept us on the straight and narrow because we also had to walk like two miles to get there. So I was exhausted by the end. And then we waited yeah, like two hours. The ice cream was good though. The ice cream was good. We did have to wait a long time. That's right. Yeah. yeah I felt bad about that one. I did feel oh, bad good. about that one. It was good. Yeah. Stuff. But all all of that is a culmination of, yes, that was just kind of how we got down. For the New Orleans Bowl, it was a cinnamon roll the size of our head in between yoga and a 5K inside the stadium. We contained multitudes. Again, not to toot our own horn, but toot toot. And the Fargo, and Fargo that donut, donut shop that had oh, oh. a donut about the size of your head, too. Maybe I just will drive up to Fargo. I'm in Brookings, South Dakota right now. I think it's maybe another hour and a half, two hours. I might go up just for the donut. So the, the, theme, the theme here is food was a big part of the theme <laughs> of our season leading up to that. We get the mail bowl. We're on the call. And, you know, we got to figure out now two things. One, we have to build to this crescendo and we have to keep viewers with us long enough. So at the end of the game, we can say, hey, flip onto the app to watch the winning coach get dunked with mayo. And then we also have to figure out a way to sort of build toward it with some, I guess you can call it a gimmick. And so we throw out the idea, hey, what if we're dipping mayo in different foods? And that's where Mike chimes in and you go with the, well, I want to pick the foods. <laughs> I've been curating our bad eating all year long, so it only felt right. So, yeah, we landed on Oreos, which – Earlier in the season, we had gotten a little bit of pushback. We went to 10. So this also builds into it. So we make the food choice there. Cream-filled cookies. Why did you say cream-filled cookies? I was going to say, for anyone that hasn't seen the clip, when we're introing that first one, because we led with Oreos, then we went on Crustable, then we did a glazed donut uh, at the end of that one. And we led with the Oreos. And I in the clip say, all right, we're going to go with the cream-filled cookie first because rewind back to our game at Tennessee. We had South Carolina at Tennessee in Knoxville, and Elante Taylor was a defensive back for Tennessee who, in this age of NIL, had an awesome deal with a low... What, do you guys remember the name of the cookie place there? We can say it now because we're not on the broadcast. Moonshine, moonshine Mountain Cookies. Yeah, Moonshine Mountain Cookies. So we had Moonshine Mountain Cookies had sponsored Elante Taylor. And anytime he got an interception that season, Tennessee fans could go and get two free cookies. And in the middle of this game, Elante intercepts a two-point conversion. And Anish, ever up on the rules, reminds all of us that on a two-point conversion, it doesn't technically go down in the books as an interception in the body of the game. 
and we get to commercial and we are all like furiously DMing this cookie place, trying to find out if this counts and if we could tell Tennessee fans they're getting free cookies. And we came back on air and said the name of the cookie place. Or Taylor, had you said the name of the cookie place already doing the report down on the sideline? Because that was well, one of your stories. Well, just to add a little bit to that story, we didn't really know how everything worked with NIL. Everybody was figuring it out. So the day before we knew about this kid's NIL deal. So I was like, well, naturally we have to go check out this cookie place and we have to have cookies ready in case he does get an interception. So I had gone to the cookie place, gotten these bomb cookies and was ready on air for them. And so I think, yeah, I think I was the one who mentioned it off the top, which I actually think I said the name wrong on air. So whoops, sorry. We'll, we'll make up for it now. Um, I had said the name wrong, but still said the name and then you guys probably said it again and didn't go over well. Yeah, but you know what? When you said, hey, we're furiously DMing people, that was um, that was reporting, Mike. We did mm-hmm. some reporting, and Moonshine Mountain Cookies got back to us and said, they're going to honor the spirit of the NIL. It'll count. And everybody got free cookies, so we were able to bring that information out. But, yes, we, we got a few slaps on the wrist for mentioning the specific name, but again, lesson learned. So instead of Oreo, it was cream-filled cookies. Instead of Uncrustables, it was what, peanut, peanut butter, jelly, peanut sandwich. butter, and jelly sandwich. And we you know, we just went strict glazed donuts. So yeah, we evolved as the season went along. There, that was the height of our journalism at that point. Certainly, going and doing the reporting work, like Anish mentioned. Uh, but we got us to that point, and so it all built up there. And I think pregame, before we got to the actual game, the last sort of piece of the puzzle also was. So our producer for the year is John Kettering, who you guys still worked with in this past season as well. Brock Osweiler was in the booth with you guys. And Kett, unfortunately, that game, so we had been uh, non-industry people. We were a Remy Pro crew, which meant that we were all out there on site, but all of our production staff was back in Charlotte doing this and producing the game remote. And so our producer hadn't been out with us on the road all season long. And we were really excited because the bowl game was played in Charlotte. Anish and his family are in Charlotte. Kett and his family like, is down there. And so we're like, all right, this will be great. We'll all get to be here kumbaya at the end of the season. Kett unfortunately got COVID before that game. He was out for that game and so wasn't able to be there with us. And Paul Irvin stepped in, who we all know is another great producer uh, down in Charlotte there at ESPN. And Paul hadn't been around us all year. He knew us, but he didn't know us like that. So when we threw out this idea, Paul was, you know, kind of quick. He was, you know, he was basically coming in and being a good teammate, saying, listen, I haven't been on your guys' crew this year. You guys know how you handle business. I'll be deferential to you guys and we'll we'll go and put on a good broadcast. And so it kind of gave us a little free reign to sort of push this through in a way that didn't get as much pushback the way it might have been for Ken, who knew us all year long and was used to our shenanigans. Yeah, and Ket Taylor was sort of our our conscience in a sense that, you know, we would sort of pitch crazy, wacky ideas and, and we would, you know, I don't want to say fun police is the wrong word, but he was the guy who would say, hey, hey let's 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 pump the brakes a little bit. Let's let's peel this back. You know, we don't want to step over that line, which we probably would have done had he not stepped in multiple times. Yep. Um but given the nature of this game, I think when we found out, all right, we've got a, a producer who's just kind of nosediving in here last minute, um, who basically said, yeah, I'll do whatever you want to do. Um, we very quickly, Taylor, I think, 
decided we're going to disregard the line altogether <laughs> and we're just going to go full sickos. And we have to give Paul a lot of credit here because Paul is awesome and he totally, once we sort of went full sickos, he fully embraced it with us. And he was all in. I mean, because if you remember the glazed donut at the end of the game, I think it was in the fourth quarter when the game was still pretty tight. And so a lot of producers would have been like, enough focusing on the game. And he was like, no, we got to find a way to get this in, you know, last last one of the day. And so I give him a lot of credit for finding that window for us to have the final ounce of fun there prior to Shane Beamer getting doused with mayo because, again, it was all a culmination of that mayo dump at the end of the show. So I got to give Paul a lot of credit for the way he stepped in and sort of helped us, you know, egg on our shenanigans. Yeah, you know, that's a tough spot for a producer, for folks not in the industry. That's a tough spot. You you got two, three days and you got to figure it out. And, you know, we kind of said, hey, we'll we'll take as much off the plate, quite literally, (laughs) as as possible. (laughs) And... You know, he trusted us and it, it turned it turned into a moment. It turned into something. Um, I, I remember even when we came on the air. Do you, do you remember what I said on the air? I think when we came on the air, I had said something along the lines of this is the most anticipated bowl game outside of the college football playoff. <laughs> and there was the guy from CBS. Um, what's his name? Dennis Dodd who took serious issue with like hyperbole, you know, get off my lawn, these clowns. And so it was like, we leaned into it. Obviously it was hyperbole, obviously. But we just said, we're going to lean into this thing. It was two, six and six teams. It's, it's Mayo dumped on a coach at the end of the game. And I remember once that thing started, that was probably, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Like that was as, as much fun as I've had on the air in my broadcasting career. Thousand percent. Oh, and do, you re- do you remember the open? My op- my quote unquote open hit was interviewing both coaches together down there. And how often does that happen that you can get both coaches together right before kickoff? Like the answer to that is that never happens. And so that was a cool something cool for me is to get this moment that usually would never happen. And not only, you know, um, Mac Brown and Shane Beamer have a special relationship. So we leaned into that. But then of course, at the end, it was like, all right, one of you is getting dials with Mayo. And of course, that meant that their team got a win. So both of them were signing up for it. So I thought that for me was super cool just being able to do again, something different that usually I would never get to do. How cool was that too, though? You talk about you know needing all the elements. The fact that both coaches were so willing to lean into this as well mm-hmm. and embraced the spirit of what that bowl game was about. I, I think that's the kind of the the message in all of this, right? Is it? It took a lot of people willing to go all in and willing to embrace something that was a little bit different. Because Dennis, the Dennis Dodds of the world, there were a bunch of people that came out after the fact and said we tried to make it about us or tried to take away from the game or any number of things that were a criticism of something that looked and sounded a little different. And I know, it just you know, knowing us. And knowing the way this crew approached it, like there was a ton of sincerity played to what went on on the field in that game. I mean, we had DeCarian Joyner coming in and playing quarterback in a way that South Carolina had hidden that entire week. It, we mentioned it was a two six and six teams, but it was, you know, a border war game between North Carolina and South Carolina. There was all that baked in. We're in Charlotte and we had a really good game in the midst of all this. It's always like when 
you get the criticism of athletes where they're out doing something else and you get the people that are like, why aren't you in your playbook or why aren't you doing something like that? Every waking minute wasn't spent doing all this stuff, but we pick and chose spots where we leaned into, like you said, what was the overarching theme hanging over the heads quite literally for the coaches and for everyone else in this game and in bowl season is we know not all of these games are for the national championship. We know not all of these games to the average fan of sports who's just coming in is going to be the most appealing thing in the world. But to college football fans tried and true who love how weird and wacky this sport, the fact that it's a little bit dressed down from its NFL counterpart, like there was plenty in the game for everyone and whatever your tastes were, at least I thought. Yeah, and I think the biggest point that I would just hone in on is it is college football, yes, and, and there's an element of college football that is to be taken seriously. But at the end of the day, it is entertainment. All of this is entertainment. And so the fact that, you know, people don't want us to lean into the entertainment aspect of it is just silly in my book. Because, again, this was teeing itself up to be great entertainment. And I, I was super proud of the way we leaned into that. And I thought it was an amazing show. I, I just go back to what was the story of the game? What was the yeah. thing that drove people to watch that game? What was you know, the singular driving force? It was mayonnaise. Um, yeah, you had Sam Howell playing his last game basically in his hometown, and you had North and South Carolina. Um, but even the coaches you know, embraced that. That's what they were asked about in the press conference. Um, and we covered the other stuff, Sam Howell playing his last game and why he was playing when he could have opted out very easily. You know, we, I thought, documented the game, but I thought it, it's on us. ESPN's motto is always serve the viewer. Mm-hmm. And people are tuning into that game because of you know, what's going to happen in the end. And I guess we, we should probably go to, you know, that, that first, um, that first moment, right? <laughs> yeah. The first, the first moment was really more about the first look, like think of a father seeing his daughter on her wedding day for the first time. That was me looking into Anisha's eyes. The moment the Oreo covered in mayonnaise met his lips, because obviously as we've documented on this, I'm a shit pig. I'm going to put whatever's on the plate in, like into my gullet. That's just how I operate. And so with a niche, we were up there in the booth and he was like, yeah, no, bleep it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to put my hand in the pile. Same for Taylor. I know because of the camera setup, Taylor, we didn't have you with us for the Oreo. You were with us for the next two. Right? Yeah. Well, what happened was I was, I didn't have the ingredients. So I didn't have the mayonnaise and the Oreo because I was on the other side of the field. And, and it was, I mean, those again, for those who, who don't know how a broadcast works, like we're constantly adjusting to the game. And so what happened, there was a situation in the game that lended itself to have time to be able to do something like that. And that decision is made like this. And so I couldn't get to the other side of the field to therefore get my ingredients and then go back to the camera. So yes, that's what happened. But really quick, I just want to, before you tell the rest of the story, I just want to lean into what you were saying about consuming absolutely anything. I remember, I think it was one or two weeks before that might've been when we were in New Orleans, I was eating something and I can't even remember what I was eating, but it fell on the ground. And I was like, dang it. Like that was really good. And he looks at me, he goes, Oh, you know how much of a sicko I am? I would have just picked that thing up and ate it. And I'm like, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like I, I'm pretty sure it's in New Orleans. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of like that too. Like I'm not, I, I, there would be situations where I would have picked it up, but I was like, I don't know these floors in New Orleans, not, not for me. So anyways, that just, that just 
reiterates the point that you'll eat anything. And in this situation, Anish was happy to join in on the shenanigans. He was. Yeah. And and, and the story with the Oreo was uh, the cream-filled cookie. Excuse me. Um, the story with the cream-filled cookie. So that was the first one. And, you know, we didn't really have an idea outside of Golic of what we'd be eating. Now, the Oreos were a little giveaway because – you were cradling a pack of Oreos like a football pregame on the field. And I saw that and I said, what's all that about? And you kind of looked at me and said, oh, you just wait. And so I kind of figured, okay, th- th- there's going to be, you know, something here that I-, I might end up regretting. But when we originally did the Oreo, um, people saw my reaction. And, and I'll let Mike take it because you saw it. I know I turned into a meme. Taylor texts our group chat after the game like, hey, new profile pic. Here's your new uh, – you text my phone now. Like, we got a new picture for you. But uh, you you saw my reaction because it's really – it was a really a, a two-part taste test there. It was. It was the immediate shock of the situation where I obviously, you know, how's the cookie? I'm chewing through it. I give the instant review on air with my mouth full because I'm my father's son. And I'm watching a niece process all of these complex emotions with this Oreo covered in mayonnaise in his mouth. And at first I looked at him and I said on air, oh, I'm going to have to call the rest of this drive by myself because I thought he was going to get sick. And then he works through it. He gets back with us. And as soon as we hit break, he looks at me and he goes, you know what? Not bad. Like, it's got that twang. (laughs) So I've never asked you this. I've never asked you this. Had you tried it before? No. Hand to God, I had never dunked anything in mayonnaise like that before in my life. And specifically, not an Oreo or any of the things that we did that day. So I flew in blind with you. This is the photo of Anish, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That was the moment where he realized, oh, this isn't so bad. I think that might have been the that might have been the um, the PB and J. That might that might have been. This is it, Anisha's contact picture in my phone. So anytime he calls me, that is what pops up. It's well, and like the amazing part with that, like it popping up on our phones, is. ESPN, so again, we're doing a game. We don't have any control of what's going out there. And during the game, ESPN social media department, and shout out to Reba and all those girls that do a fantastic, people that do a fantastic job managing the social accounts and helping us all get those things. They just threw that out there during the game. And all of a sudden, our phones are blowing up because it's starting the process of going viral online during the game while we're doing this. And then can Wasn't I tell there the- an ESPN alert? Yes. <laughs> and it there pushed was a- out. A couple things. I remember, again, so when I'm down on this sideline, I can't see what's happening up in the booth unless I'm near a monitor. And at that particular moment, I was not near a monitor. So I could only hear what was happening with you guys when Anisha almost vomited on air. And I hear our producer, Paul Irvin, and I don't know if he was in your guys' ear. He is dying laughing. Like, he's in my talk back, like, oh, my gosh. And he's, like, crying laughing. And so I'm laughing down on the sideline, having no idea what's going on. And in my head, I'm like, is he actually about to puke? Like, I don't know. For a a split second, I was not sure. And that was the beauty of it is that was all like we couldn't prepare like the live game going on in front of us. The game within the game was not being sure what any of our reactions to this are going to be. But then it just went nuclear from there. And I know we were all excited about 
how we were going to lean into this game and having fun with it because we all love college football. We all love bowl season and all that stuff. I don't think any of us could have predicted what happened when it actually hit like that. That was the one thing that blew me away. Could not have predicted, what was it, Australia? uh, An Australian newspaper that wrote about what sickos we were? They said that we were were the reason why America was without hope or like beyond saving. (laughs) We did that. We we did do that. Dion Warwick said that we should be put on paid leave. Yeah. That we should be off air for what we had. Miss Dion, one of the, the the queens of Twitter and of R and B, thought what we did was that morally reprehensible. We registered with an audience that, again, to Anisha's point, serving the viewer and the casual fan that was going to come into that, we gave them something they have never seen before, or probably won't since. No, I, I remember at halftime. I just checked my phone, and it, it was. Just blowing up. I'm getting texts from all sorts of people. What have you done? Dude, are you serious? You didn't really dunk an Oreo in Mayo. I'm getting alerts. I mean, ESPN sending those alerts yeah. out. Um, it, it created, it created, you know, for better or for worse, um, one of the, the more interesting and memorable moments of, of bowl season and then you know we decided hey let's do part two and part three <laughs> yeah hey we just we kept it going so we kept that through line going and they all like again uh, anish uh, taylor correct me if i'm wrong they all tasted pretty fine with that on it yeah. like the pb and j it was all smooth and creamy the yep. donut it's very similar to stuff you'd have on it anyway i had no beef yeah i didn't have the oreo obviously so maybe i, I dodged a bullet there but the other two were great you like the donut? Yeah, I remember not. I mean, I don't know if I would use the word like, but I didn't. Dis- right. <laughs> yeah, like might be a strong word, but yeah. it was if someone made me do it again under threat of force, I would have no problem diving Same. back in. Same. And yeah. it's hilarious how many people since then bring that up. I mean, I was at the MLB winter meetings this past week, and one of the guys who I hadn't seen in forever Comes up to me, goes, yeah, you know, I watch you on college football. I saw you eat the mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> I can say, are you guys now officially like wearing the scarlet letter of mayonnaise for the rest of our days? So how about this? So, you know, uh, Taylor, Taylor's got a wedding to go to, so she's not doing the mayo bowl this year. I'm doing it again this year. And in the ESPN press release that went out, they described me as mayonnaise cookie connoisseur. Wow. <laughs> Not I the mean, of the Carolina Panthers, which also plays at Bank yeah. of America. Yes, exactly. No, honestly, accurate description. I see no lies there. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And so you're, 
leading up to that, we eat the rest of those, and then we get to the post game. We see Shane Beamer almost get knocked out by the bucket. That was the other part of this. So, Taylor, you're down on the field. Like Anise said, this is going to happen on the app after the game. We're telling people to stick around. College football fans are in a frenzy. The true sickos committee, you know, people out there are all in on this. And we get to that moment, and they had done tests to try and get the viscosity right. Miller and the folks at the Charlotte Sports Foundation, who did a great job putting this all together, are, are doing all that. But it's a heavy bucket that they're getting ready to dump on him. And so as Shane is getting doused, he also took a bit of a rock in the back of the head. We were just glad he stayed upright. Yeah, I think they had to elect new Mayo dumpers this year. And I don't know if that's exactly why, but I, I remember the night before the Mayo Bowl, we had gone out with Miller, or at least Golick and I, to some barbecue spot in Charlotte. And we're eating barbecue, and Miller is describing how they're going to dump the mayo and how they've been testing it. You know, the girls had been sending him videos all day, like, does this work? Does this work? He's like, no, you know, you know, too fluid or whatever it was, you know, try it again. And so they're practicing all week long, and I just don't think they anticipated how high they were going to have to lift it and then dump over his head. So... You know, a little bit of a, okay, we, we learned from that. But I think the whole the whole dumping and, and getting a concussion while at it was was part of what Shane Beamer will remember. <laughs> what what I walked away from, you know, that that was the one that was the one base that I think the bull forgot to cover, which was <laughs> making sure you have people who can adequately lift and pour mm -hmm. and so they've corrected corrected that and rectified that this year by you know doing a whole vetting process and getting dumpers i was a little surprised that they didn't bring you on mike as an honorary dumper i think you certainly deserve the honor and and i, I know you would have done a great job I know. Listen, I, I tried to, to show them, hey, guys, listen, I've gotten back in the gym this year. I'm as strong as I've been in a while. I'm capable of getting down there, lifting with my legs and not just bending at the waist to get that mayo up and overhead. But, you know, listen, I'll continue to throw my services out there. They know we'll always be part of the Mayo family, even if some of us are a little farther away than usual this year. Maybe come back on as a dumper in, in years prior because Anisha does feel very right that you're the one of us that's going to represent us here still because after that game, you weren't yet the voice of the Carolina Panthers, but you had made your home in Charlotte. And now, I mean, you have to walk around that Panthers facility and that stadium as somewhat of a king based on your status in that building after that moment. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. I've told people the story. That came up during my interviews with the Panthers. And, again, that game turning into a, a moment indirectly helped me land that job. Uh, it, you know, it, it's done in their stadium, in their backyard. And, again, you know, Taylor knows this. When you work for a team, it, it's a little different where you're trying to sell tickets and you're trying to appease sponsors and – all of a sudden, you sort of had that perfect cocktail of, of all of that, right? Sponsor, uh, game element, you tied it all in, you had fun with it, you created a moment. Um, and I remember my wife ran the numbers. She works in public relations. And, you know, this doesn't even include social media. And it was something like 360-something million unique impressions. And I'm not sure exactly what that means independent of social media, but there's a dollar value to that. I don't know how they calculate it, but that dollar value was north of $3 million. And so I remember mm -hmm. being able to take that into my interview and saying, <laughs> you know, hey, this is <laughs> something that we did by being total sickos. I didn't say that part. <laughs> um, 
But how many times, I, I think after I started, which was a couple of months after that, in, in February or March, um, was I sending you pictures from the stadium where there was still mayo lying around? It's it's so true. I feel like they're never going to be able to fully get all the mayonnaise out of that stadium, especially now that I'm assuming it's just going to keep getting bigger and more brash as they approach this and douse the whole thing in mayonnaise. I don't know. Terrifying. Terrifying to think about what they might do this year. I don't know, like, Anish, Taylor, for both of you guys, what will be your ultimate takeaway from the Duke's Mayo experience? Taylor, as we mentioned, you're not going to be there with Anish this year. I'm not going to be there with Anish this year. So what was your ultimate takeaway from this entire ordeal involving mayonnaise and football? Well, my first takeaway, I'm not going to be there because my little sister's getting married. And so I don't know who thought it was a good idea to schedule a wedding on New Year's so that I couldn't do the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So that's a little messed up. I'll have to take that with, up with her later. No, <laughs> no, I think I think the biggest takeaway was not being afraid to lean into the inner entertainment aspect you know you you heard about some of the criticism and there's certainly some of that that you have to be careful about but it's entertainment at the end of the day and what people wanted to see was that mayo dunk at the end of the game with whatever winning coach won the game and to have fun with it and not be afraid to have fun and lean into to all the shenanigans that could potentially come out of that. And I think we did a really good job out of it and we showed our personalities and, and we gave people an enjoyable broadcast from my vantage point. So that those would probably be the top two things. Don't get married on during bull season and uh, don't be afraid to lean into the entertainment. Incredible Enjoy advice. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, the, the thing that I kind of took away really two things. One um, it just felt like really a perfect send off for our crew. That was the last time the three of us had done a game together. And, you know, Mike and, and Taylor, um, we had so much fun on and off the air that season. And it was like this ca- cauldron of just, um, you know, everything we had sort of poured into the season. And it was a lot of us in there and, and it was authentic. And, and that's what I liked about it. Um, and then the other thing, you know, a lesson for any young broadcaster potentially listening to this stuff, I think sometimes you got to trust your instincts and it's better to beg for forgiveness on the back end, moonshine mountain cookies, right, um, than uh, ask for permission. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, these are things where sometimes if you if you shoot the idea and you say, well, do you think we'll be allowed to do this? And you start asking questions sometimes give people an opportunity to say no. And I've kind of always felt like, hey, if it works, well, you know, somebody else can always take credit for it. If it doesn't, you, know, you can throw us under the bus. <laughs> that's just that's the reality, right? You, you guys messed up. It didn't work. But um, the one thing I learned, I think, through the course of, of not just this season, but, but having done this is you want to trust your instincts and, and you grow your instincts and you hone your instincts. And our instincts were to kind of follow the mayonnaise, uh, uh, you know, for that bowl game. And I'm glad we did. It, it, it's certainly the most memorable game that I've done. It's the game that I get asked about um, more than any other in the year that we've done this. Uh, everybody wants to know why. Everybody wants to know how. Everybody wants to know, you know, what kind of sickos we all are. Um, and, and that's a loaded question to answer sometimes, but I've tried to be honest about it. So 
I think it's trust your instincts. And, and, you know, when you're a broadcaster, sometimes you want to step over that line and it's okay to do so. Yeah, I, I think what you said there and both of you guys kind of hinted at it there is is sort of trust. Like, And I think it was trust with like all of us too. That was the part that was most fun to me is I think you earn those moments to go out there and give yourselves into the thing like that through the entire year. And we had spent so much of that year on and off the air. Taylor, you described all the time together playing board games in the lobby of these hotels and tracking down ice cream places and doing all that. But then in the game, like it was an equal partnership, I I think across the board, like Taylor, we've always talked about this sideline. You have comparatively fewer opportunities to impact the game, but that never impacted like the preparation you put into this. You always had such great stuff. You always related something that we could talk about back in the booth. Like we trusted you every time we were going down to you, that there was going to be an awesome value add in that moment. And Anish, we trusted you that you were always going to set the tempo and the framework for the game. What is the big story of this game? What is everyone thinking about when they look at this matchup? And so just because, I trusted you guys so much in that we could all hand the baton off at some point and everyone was going to do something awesome with it. I think that's what, for me, made this moment possible and made the season fun in general was just there was that much trust personally and professionally, at least from my standpoint on the crew. Yeah, no doubt. It was it was so much fun. And, and I think this job is awesome, getting to go to these college towns and call these games. And we've gotten to call some big games, but – it's so much fun just being with you guys. And I think not to be too much of a sap, but like we know we had a good season when we all still have a group chat. Like we still talk almost every day in that group chat Um, and we keep up with each other's lives. And I think that just, you know, is a, is a clear indication of how much fun we had last year because we're still friends outside of work. I think for me that, that component just for the season without getting sappy as well, um, yeah, that was it. You know, you guys both became, you know, really close friends. We had a, a lot of jokes at each other's expense. We also had some, you know, really, you know, sound, real conversations that I don't think coworkers often have with each other. And 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 that was, you know, that was endearing. And we got to, you know, see the the full extent of everybody's personality. Uh, I think by season's end, there really weren't many secrets, you know, between <laughs> us three. Um, and and it, and it made for this very, uh, I, I thought, relaxed atmosphere on the road. You know, going to work and going on the road every week was fun. We looked forward to it. Where are we going to eat? Where's Mike going to take us um, for dessert? You know, how many times can I get Mike to crack up during a game? Um, you know, how many times is he going to try to get me to laugh during a game? You know, we would have all these running inside jokes. And for folks who don't know, um, the biggest laugh of, of anybody on our crew is Taylor. Um, Taylor will laugh at anything. If you say you can have the worst joke possible, she'll, she'll make you think you are a comedian because she will belly laugh at literally anything and everything. And that became a running gag. Wait, can we tell? Okay. So I have a quick story just to go along with that. You know, Anish and I, we have a lot of great conversation and he'll give me life advice. And one time we were talking and, you know, I was Sometimes I just have a tendency to laugh, especially when I'm nervous. And and so we were talking about a situation and and he was like, Well, you know, how do I how do I say this? The laugh. <laughs> I just started <laughs> laughing. I was like, I know, I know. I oh. do. I laugh. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so 
And so, yes, if you're feeling down about yourself, that you're not funny enough, hang out with me and I'll make you feel like you're a comedian. Oh, uh, it's it is it is so true. I I said from the moment I left sports, the hardest thing was finding the feel in the locker room of people that you could like trust and be your fullest self with every day. And we had that with this crew, and it was awesome. And it's what made this whole season and the lead up to that game and execution so much damn fun. As this podcast, which we talked about, we said last year we shouldn't have done a podcast every week. We managed to do it here, guys. Thank you for helping me relive uh, this memorable experience for us. I love you both. You're awesome teammates, and uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you in the group chat all during this game as me and Taylor egg on a niche while she's at a wedding and I'm just at home getting drunk watching mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to – I'm telling you, we're cooking up a few things. So we're going to try to cook up a few things this year. Hopefully we can execute them. Um, hopefully we can at least match what we did last year, but – um, yeah, we've, we've got some ideas this year. One of the things that we need to do this year is at, at some point, Taylor, uh, I'm, I'm sure Andrea Carter, who's our, our sideline reporter, is going to be all over this. But, right, we're, we're reporting on this event. I, I mean, at some point in the second half, don't we need to hear from the dumpers? Don't we need oh, to hear what's going yeah. through their head? That's actually a really good point. That's a great right? point. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's important because really that was the downfall last year and and the glitch. So we have to make sure those guys are you know what are in the right mindset to make sure no more concussions happen. Challenge to Andrea Carter, who I know is up for this. I've seen the work that she's done with Alyssa Lang on the SEC network. I know she's about that life. Taylor, you mentioned it. They were testing out the viscosity last year. I think Andrea needs to go and personally hand test out the viscosity of the mayonnaise on air to make sure that it's going to be light enough to be dumped on a coach. I feel like that'd be responsible journalism. Yeah, and I also feel like we need to see them lift lift the mayonnaise before too. So there's a couple questions, definitely the viscosity, but also, you know, do they have the muscles to be able to lift that thing above their head and then dump it because that was really the issue last year is they couldn't lift the mayonnaise high enough and then dump it. I'm picturing like a Rocky style mayonnaise training montage. <laughs> I mean, I, I would almost think you would need a Drago and a Rocky. That thing was heavy from what I understood. Uh, and from what I recall last year, they had a couple of practice runs mm-hmm. with the dump. Somebody actually had mentioned to me about a week or so ago and said, hey, you know, they practice dumping the mayonnaise. Would you be willing to sit down for it? And I thought about it, and I said, in the spirit of the bowl game, I would absolutely volunteer as tribute. Wow. Let's yeah. go. Wow. What right here. That is commitment. All right. Well, I am, I am waiting on bated breath now for this video to hit the group chat if and when it goes down. Wow. All right. See, if that's if if nothing else, let that be the cell that you need to make sure that you are asses in seats for the Duke's Mayo Par Mayo Bowl Part Deux with a knee Schroff at the helm, both hands on the wheel, but certainly Mayo riding shotgun in the passenger seat. Um, well, I was going to say, and, and the one other element that I was hoping to have last year, we didn't have. I'm hoping we got to reach out to him. So if you remember the beginning of the last college football season, they had the Dukes-Mayo kickoff. Yes. At Bank of America Stadium. I yes. believe it was Clemson in Georgia, right? Game day was there. And do you remember the dude who was just squeezing it all over himself and bathing himself? 
and lathering himself up. Well, we had reached out to him before the Mayo game last December to see if he would be there, and he was on some trip, I think, in South America. Well, if he's there, oh. I mean, just, again, you got to lean into this thing, right? Yes. It's, he's overdue for updating his skincare routine once again to include mayonnaise. I have I such mean, FOMO. This is not fair. I, I literally am oozing a FOMO right now. Oozing a I'm FOMO and a mayonnaise. Bath. And instead of soap, I'm just going to mayonnaise the entire tub. <laughs> oh, dear God. That's how you get into the true deep, dark feelings of bull season for all of it's our fellow sickos. It is. It's good for the skin. I always tell people that. It's good for the skin. Uh, guys, this was amazing. Thank you both so much for giving me an hour of your time to talk mayonnaise and football. I love you both. Best of luck with the rest of bowl season. Everyone, make sure you check out Anish and Taylor. What, uh, bowl, quickly for you guys, Anish, you're on the Duke's Mayo Bowl. What other bowl game are you calling this season? And Taylor, I know you're on a couple as well, right? Yeah, I'm on the, the Cotton Bowl Radio, um, the Liberty Bowl, and the New Mexico Bowl. Boom. Yeah, and I'll be on the Mayo Bowl, the Boca Raton Bowl, and then the Celebration Bowl on radio. Awesome. So make sure you guys check out Taylor and Anish at both of those spots. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review this podcast wherever you get them. Thanks so much. Everyone keep having a happy holiday and enjoy bowl season. We'll talk to you soon. Boom. Money in the bank.